Important encounters are planned by the souls long before the bodies see each other. Paolo Coelho. Bending Not Breaking, Season 7, Episode 7. Reunion. back with another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And I'm Ben. And we are chatting more Legend of Korra, Season 4, Episode 7, Reunion. Today. Reunion. What a time. A lot of reunions happening in this little story. Korra's back. Korra's back. She's jumping back into Republic City. That's right. It's a big deal. Mako's throwing hissy fits left and right. Oh no, man. I... I didn't have too much of a problem with Mako in this episode, surprisingly. He's fine. But, it's just one of those moments where you're just kind of like, dude, like, read the room. Like, come on. Come on, it's bud. It's not about you. It's not about you right now. I get that response. So we'll, it, and here's we'll, it. It's a very real response, but we'll talk more about it. Uh, we are talking this episode through a lens of connection. We have not. We've talked about connectedness, but that was in like season one of our show. And so it's been a while it's been a while um so defensive point um but yeah I, I think we have learned a lot since then and it would be really interesting to kind of talk about connection and figure out um what we can learn from this episode yeah so you know what is connection let's start there yeah so this is one of those things where i have a hard time not going back to Brene brown for this because my 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 favorite definition uh, of this comes from Brene, um, and she defines it as the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they can derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. Mm. And I think that holds up really well in the context of the metaphor of connection in this episode as well. So. Yeah, I, I I think it's really difficult to not think about connection for me without that definition in mind. Well, Webster would say, yeah, Webster, let's do it. A relationship in which a person, thing or idea is linked or associated with something else, which I think that's it, there like connections between like there's literal connections, right? Like your Wi-Fi connection, like li- like inanimate objects have connecting things, pieces through them. I think a lot of times we do think of this through like, how do I as a person connect with someone else in the many different facets that that can happen? Um, but then like you can also think like Legos. Yeah, <laughs> like, and I, I think that's really helpful to, to reframe too. But because for me, if I expand on Brene's definition, it's not just the energy that exists between people, right? It's the energy that exists between me and another thing and i think you know another way i think about connections is one of my um strengths and strength finders is connectedness mine too thanks clifton though the way that i kind of grapple with that and the way that i see that manifest in me is i make connections between you know watching x scene on a tv show 
and this moment that happened in my life. And I see a connection between those two things and how like, oh, wow, I could learn about how this moment relates to this thing that seems like completely like who would connect that? Who would connect that dot? And in a way, I think that we can connect things often. And so sometimes those are looser connections and sometimes they're stronger, but you know, how do we connect dots between seemingly distinct ideas? And I think there is connection to consider there too. And then the other thing I'd lift up that is like uh, cause and effect, right? The connectedness between events and things and decisions and the consequences are all like how, how events can be connected to each other, I think is also important. Right. So yeah. And a lot of researchers would be like, well, we can't say that there's a connection there unless we test it again and again and again. But then there are people who have this just instinctual understanding of, no, that is what caused this. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see, again, we're going to see that in this episode too, where people rely on instincts that people can't really explain, but it's based off of like our body's experience holistically over time has given us the wisdom to be like, that seems strange. I'm going to follow that guy who's walking towards that truck. Um, and I think that yeah. that's a really interesting way to think about connection also. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. Well, we'll jump into the episode, but before we do 30 seconds on the clock for you, Ben, it's my honor. It is your turn. I'm excited that you're, you're excited. I'm always excited. What do you mean? <laughs> it's my favorite what are you talking about i, I love this <laughs> three two one go 30 second recap yeah so cora and naga hug it out and tenzin gets straight down to business and then bolin and barrett get trapped and then cora and asami flirty flirt and then woo down and then the trio chase the truck down and lose woo again but cora connects to the spirit vines and tracks him and then prisoners plot halfway there and Bolin and then fight their way through and then the trio saves Wu on a moving train and then jumps off and airbends into safety and then Bolin and Varric hop on a boat after escaping and then you know Kuvira harvest the banyan tree One. vines because she's Stop. the worst Kuvira's the worst <laughs> yeah well done give yourself, you. give yourself a pat on the back I'm just going to go ahead and pat my thumb on the back right now here we go yeah. Let, let's jump right into it. Where are moments of connection? There's a lot. I, I like, let's just go straight to the beginning though. Like, so Cora and Naga, it was a, like the first thing I was like, Oh, well, is that too on the nose connection here? Like rem- <laughs> um, a little hug. I think what's interesting to consider is what's not on screen versus what is. And to think about Cora being away from Naga for so long is really interesting. Yeah. And, like when we have, and it's not just Naga, but like all of her community, right? She distanced herself from these connections that she had built up. And Naga's one of them. And what we see is Naga being probably the best at receiving Korra back of, I love you, let's hug it out. And will you play with me? <laughs> right? And yeah. there's no judgment coming from Naga. And I think that's why pets are often really great things to be connected to. Yeah. I, you think about the pets that you have and if you, you go six months, a year, three years without seeing them, mm-hmm. especially because uh, the, the sense of comfort that that connection can bring. Yeah. Uh, the, the six, uh, the sense of familiarity. 
and even if we're not talking pets, like there, that's, there is such strength in connection with people because of those things, right? We know that a lot of healing takes place in moments of safety and comfort and community. Yes. And so, you know, any type of relationship coming back, us being really good about how we respond to those things. And this is partly, you know, like there's, there's good ways to do it. There's bad ways to do it. There's times to kind of rumble with the tough aspects of someone being gone for so long. Um, but how we initially show up in that moment of, of welcoming and can be a super beneficial thing, but it can also be hard, especially if you feel burnt by the person, maybe you haven't uh, been hanging out with for, for a year or two years or three years. Right. And so creating those moments of, of welcome, that sense of safety yeah, um, isn't always easy. Yeah, no. And I, I mean, and like, and let's not beat around the bush. Like <laughs> let's talk about Mako. Right. Cause that's exactly yeah. Describing here is, you know, they go out to eat, they try and catch up, and they're under the guise in the beginning that, like, oh, Cora's back, everything's great. But Mako's hurt that Cora didn't write back. And when he finds out that Cora has been writing Asami, he's a little burnt in your words, right? Yeah. And that's, he has a, a very interesting response to that that I, really empathize with yeah <laughs> right if i found out that someone who i thought i was close with was writing our mutual friend but not me in that moment i would be hurt and yeah. it would right and i would i don't i don't know that i would cross my arms and and pout like mako did but i would certainly be hurt <laughs> yeah, and it's tough because again, there's there's that balance of understanding of like Cora went through just a massive amount of trauma. Yes, yes, and yes. so what, what expectation am I really trying to hold her up to in those moments? And is that fair, right? Like, because it's totally fair to say like I really wanted a connection with you, and I missed that, and I feel burnt that other people had it and I didn't. And you were dealing with a lot. And so you've got to respond to that in your needs in your own way. And so I don't know how mad I can be. I can certainly be bummed is probably like if I'm, if I, if, if it's a spectrum of angriness to like, <laughs> to, to not, I mean, I think I, I blame more than like, I'm pretty bummed, but I don't know if I would be angry at Cora, if that makes more sense. Um, it, it'd be, well, it'd be it, more bummed like, about the it, situation. I think in the moment I would be mad at Cora. And that's that's the difference between me taking a minute to process and me like reacting, right? And I think my reaction would be similar to Mako's. The difference is, and I I, I think I'm I'm an internal processor. Yeah, maybe and not so, the external uh emotiveness of it though. Yes, I would I would probably be like, okay, uh what what's like again like these practices that we've been talking about what's the most generous assumption i can make why would a reasonable reasonable decent um kind human being do this and oh okay then i can like talk myself into these things that you're mentioning right it's very easy for us to do this in a vacuum where we're not in that moment sitting there but like I, I would probably have a similar reaction and it would take me a minute to process my way out of feeling the way Mako does. And, and there is a big difference because he is also communicating back. And I think that's the thing is when we process those things, how we process it also communicates yes. things the other direction. Yes. And so there's one way of being like, 
I need a minute and I'm going to step away or I need a minute. And like, not, like I just need, a, I need a little bit of time is very different than like outwardly then expressing like the anger back because now we are also yeah. then projecting the, this opportunity for shame and, and guilt to the other person yep. who was doing what they needed to do to heal. And so the importance yeah. of how quickly we are communicating back things, which is the same reason, like snapping in the moment at something that's happening with a loved one, not like the, not the good, like, yes, snaps, but like turning and like snipping at someone. And then sometimes, Hey, thirty even 30 seconds later, it, it can be like, Hey, I that was that, that was not okay, and I shouldn't have done it. So I apologize. I'm still upset, but like the way I handled that was not appropriate. Yeah, it goes a long way, I think, in those moments. And we don't we don't see Mako do that in this moment. There's no like, hey, I I'm bummed and I'm upset, but that was not the right way for me to react in that moment. So I'm sorry. Yeah, and and you know what? I really appreciate this because this is really helpful. In that, I I think that this is so true for so many people. And there's an element that I really appreciate about people like Mako and Korra who are both like this. <laughs> uh, even Asami in this episode snaps, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there is something really beautiful about people who are able to be, um, the language I'm going to use is unfiltered. And it seems there's there's a, an argument that people make that says this type of lack of a filter in that moment is more authentic and real than uh, processing for a moment and then coming back and saying something. And I, I think it's there is there's a lot of judgment around that of like I I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to be real. I want you to tell me what you're mad about and sad about. And there's a lot of, it, it feels like um, in the same way that like connection is, it feels like connection is more easily built when people lack that filter, if that makes sense, versus it feels manufactured and not real when people take time to kind of like process their feelings first and put a filter on it. Does that make sense? It does. Because in for me personally, I view the authentic self as the way that I want to be in a situation. Yeah. And so I don't want to be the person that snaps back. So the, the reaction might be the authentic reaction, but it's not matching authentically who I want to be. And so that's where I would argue that the process comes like I want to be the person who processes and thinks. And that is the authentic yeah. way I want to show up. And so because I don't want my reaction to cause harm. And so even though the authentic reaction might be the initial one, the version of myself that I want to live into that I would say is more authentically me is the one that processes, if that makes sense. Well, and I I 100% agree with you because I am very obviously a processor. And it's one of those things where there, I think just in, in general, there's a lot of judgment around, around it. And I think that most people, I would not say all, but most people find it easier to build connection with people who are unfiltered in this way, right? And I I guess I'm going to 
like push back and like, I want to massage that a little bit and apply pressure to it because I'm wondering what can we do to kind of address that? And, and what can we do like societally and culturally to kind of put pressure on that and say that either to allow for more grace, if that is the case, and allow for like, okay, if we're going to trust people and in this way and see that this is the way to build connection is to live unfiltered, then we have to be less judgmental of how people react, right? Like it just... I think it's yes and. I think it's a double-edged sword because I think that those unfiltered comments can just as easily stop connection, yeah. right? Like, like those unfiltered comments, I'm just being raw, I'm just being real a lot of times are also just the way to like, well, shut down. Well, if you're going to respond that way, then yeah. I'm going to stop telling you these things or I'm going to stop communicating in this way. And so I think that it's a double-edged sword. So like what's authentic and, and real, and is it coming from a place of compassion? Is it coming from a place of empathy? Is it coming from a place of grace? Cause I'm coming and saying like, I'm upset about this and here's why. Versus like, I'm upset about this and it's your fault. Like both can be similar reactions, but one is going to open the door for connection and one is going to close it hard. And so that's a good point too. And yeah. so it's, it's how, you know, how do you, how are you able to express those things? Um, and so, cause there's a world, it, there's a world in the Asami core reaction where core says how, you know, why are you going and talking back to your dad? He could just be manipulating you again. Yeah. That very easily that comment could have, shut the door on a relationship with Asami and Korra. Um, and it doesn't, but we all, we all know situations probably that we can think back into our lives where those types of comments absolutely have shut the door on a relationship. Or Asami's comment back, the same deal. How yeah. dare you be away and think you know what you're talking about when it comes to my familial relationships can also be like, so it's how do we, yeah. how do we balance that? So yes, I think it's a yes and. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think what we see is that connection is hard <laughs> in, this, in this episode, right? It We see that connection is not easy. But I think we what we also see is that connection in and of itself is what gives people insight into one another. And it is a trust builder. Like it, you cannot, I guess you can, but it seems as though trust depends on the connectedness between people. Right. And one can trust without connection. But I think that trust is more easily built when there is a solid connection. Right. That seems I, I feel like we see that. Yeah, I think we do. It, and it's an interesting thing because I'm already now jumping to think about um, Bolin and and Varric and what, working uh, with, awesome. with these refugees. Right. So I loved watching again. Varric has been surprising this whole season, but. And he has moments where he reverts back to normal Varric, right? Like, Let, yeah. let's go. We're out. Let's go. And Bolin has to be like, no, I'm not leaving these folks behind, right? And so there is a moment here where trust may be not necessarily built. And I feel like we get a lot of, in life, I've heard a lot of, I tr I'll trust you when you show me that you can trust me. And it's just yeah. like weird. I'm not going to trust you until you trust me first back and forth or I'm not going to respect you until you earn it, that type of yeah. stuff at somewhere in that line and logic. If you're using that logic, someone's got to trust or someone has to respect 
first. Before, but first, right? So yeah. everyone's got that line of logic of I'll trust you when, when you show me that you trust me or I'll respect you when you respect me. Someone's got to do that first. Yep. Um, and so I think that's the challenge with that. So that's like, you know, we see that Bolin is making moves and saying like, now I'm going to go do this. Like he could have bailed. Um, but, you know, that's, we kind of see that, that interaction throughout the course of them. Like, uh, you know, they kind of get to this point where Bolin's the first one to drop and say like, yeah. Hey, cool. We're all on the same side. Right. Like we're all doing this together. Right. Yeah. What I, I like Bolin shines in this episode. He, he does. does. And you know, I, this moment at the very end when this group of prisoners is still fighting Kuvira's lackeys and you know, he's Baraz says you didn't have to come back and Bolin's like yeah I kind of did that that moment shows me that Bolin sees the extent of what he has done by being with Kuvira and being on Kuvira's side to me that's what that communicated it wasn't that just the connection that he made with this group of people right that that kind of fed that it was the fact that he realizes that he has been contributing to this for years now. And that's what I sensed. I might be wrong, but there was something about like his voice that really communicated that to me that I found to be really endearing. I think he's starting to see like, it's the moment where he realizes like, what do you mean? That's not happening at that camp or that way. And then they're like, yes, it is. And so that's where you see the wheels start to spin of like, oh, I have been causing harm or I have been complicit in this, um, which maybe is maybe that's the reason he turned around instead of just a sense of connectedness to people. But I do think it shows you like if him and Bolin just run or Bolin and Eric just go and we leaving these folks behind, that doesn't do anything to kind of like help move the mission forward or help like at a certain point, then they're going to get captured again. They're going to yeah. let them know where you are. They're going to do all these things that like, it doesn't continue to break the system. Yeah. Um, and so for us, it's, you know, what that looks like to me or what I think about is like, Oh, that's, that doesn't affect me. I'm not trans. That trans bill doesn't affect me. Yes. Um, that's not the case, right? Yep. Like that's not true. Um, and so when we see attacks on the most marginalized in our communities, like it's you got to be Bolin and go back and be like, how, how can I support in this moment? Um, yeah. well, and so it's, it's mind blowing to me to think about just the amount of gender affirming care bills that are out there. Over like 450 will, nationwide in America. That will affect cisgender straight people <laughs> that they don't realize will affect them. Um, and you know, I'm, this is not to everyone who, but who is straight and cisgender, but it is to the people who are not reading these bills and are for them generally don't realize how much they will affect them. They don't see the connection between them and who they deem as other in this case, trans and queers. And so I, I, I think that it's really important for me to think about how am I connected to, right? Because there's always connection. And if we will fail to see it, we will act in ways that 
continue to distance between rather than recognize that we are connected. Um, so yeah, I like 100% agree with you here. And if we zoom in on Bolin and Barrick a little more too, uh, there were some like smaller details that I really enjoyed. Um, one of which was there's a look when they're about to get into a fight with the prisoners that they both have this instant connection that Varric knows what Bolin is going to do. They know how they're going to react. Varric is not a bender, but he knows Bolin. And so what he does, they make eye contact and then Bolin acts and like shoots a wave of earth under the, like in the ground. And Varric like knows to jump and knows what to do without any conversation and there's this there's this thing that happens between people that know one another really well where there's almost a sense of mind reading and this was a really interesting example for me because you know they've known each other they've been working together for years at this point and all it takes is a look and i love relationships like that because there are so many times where with even between you and I, we'll be in the same room and somebody will make a comment. I'll look right at you and you'll look right at me. And we know exactly what the other person is thinking. And it just, there, there's, there are moments like that that are really interesting and um, representative of connection. And I'm, I'm, did you notice that moment? Was that something that you? Yeah. Did? It's uh, it's their relationship's always been weird. Similar with Varric and Julie. Cause you don't know all the time if Varric's doing it out of connection or out of personal gain. Um, and so sometimes there's these moments where it's like, is he, does he really excited for Bolin or is he really happy or is he happy that Bolin saved him? Or is he happy that like, you know, his, his life gets to continue in the way that he wants um yeah people hate playing board games with, with us that's why <laughs> like, that's because of that exact reason um but i you know ultimately that that it's it's always a good feeling to feel like you've got that partnership with someone and i think that's you know community grows on a, on a certain level and and we like you know there's always times for different sizes of community right like i love going to concerts with 250 people i don't yeah. love going to concerts with 3,000 people like that's that's too much for me um I like a book club with four people I don't love a book club with 40 people right so like um (laughs) we are there's there's levels of connection that I think really exist and so those that one-on-one connection that partnership can feel really really good at times um and feel like that's what's necessary but then you you expand that like Bolin and Barrett could not have made it through those gates alone yeah right like um And so he, they needed a little bit more of that partnership. So, um, but to your point, yeah, those, those are really any moment of that where it's just like the beautiful moments of connection, which can happen so um, on such a minuscule level sometimes yeah, like, we, we don't even recognize them. Mm-hmm. Um, but like uh, almost like anytime you and someone, the, the jinx game, right? Anytime someone, you and someone say the same thing at the same time without thinking about it, like, I really like those moments in life because yeah. it's just like, Oh, we we were both just for simultaneously in it for just a brief moment, but both of us existed in that moment together, and it's really nice. Yeah. Um, and so those moments are really cool, and I think that like yeah, take stock in those in your own life when those happens because those are just those are little cup filling moments. I think. Um, so yeah. hopefully they aren't happening while you're being attacked or fighting uh, <laughs> in violent situations, but like 
but yeah, but, even, <laughs> but maybe they are, you know, yeah, um, take, take stock for sure. So, uh, what other moments of connection do you want to lift up? Yeah, I want to talk about Prince Wu for a minute. Yeah, he's not super connected to the the core three there. Uh, but you know what this episode really shows me is how much he craves connection. Prince Wu over and over again this season makes bids for connection. Yes. That's exactly. what they are. Everything he does is bids for connection. He just is not good at it. So right? can- or like maybe not good at it, but like he struggles to f- his bids are not ones that are reciprocated well because of the way that he goes about them. Yeah. Can you, I don't know that everybody knows that, that terminology. Can you expand on what a bid for connection is? Absolutely. So a bid for connection is, are these moments that people will say things or do things as a hoping point to create a connection piece between another person, right? So something as small as, Hey, how was your day? can be a bid for connection. Um, something as small as a small invite, right? Like it can be a bid for connection, but it looks differently. So bids for connections can be different for every single person. Sometimes it's, Ooh, I don't like that, that logo of the, of the billboard we just passed. Yeah. Like, and those are the, those are the ones I think go under the radar. Cause a lot of times those are the ones that are missed. Uh-huh. Um, I don't like that logo. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, all right, miss bid for connection. How'd you say that? Yeah. But sometimes that's the way that people have either learned or been conditioned to make bids for connections because that's how the, that has happened with them in the past. But they don't resonate, right? Because typically I'm not going around saying things, hopefully, typically I'm not going around saying things like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. And so when someone makes a bid for connection in that way, it's, I typically miss it or yeah. don't engage in it because you don't, sometimes you don't want to like, encourage certain bids for connections i think of kids all the time right a lot of times a crying child is a bid for connection from that child right and so sometimes you go i don't want to engage i had a moment yesterday where i was hanging out with like a a cousin you super young cousin like four years old um and he was like sit here next to me um i didn't really want to encourage that type of like you you getting to dictate what I do with my body. And so I was like, I'm not going to sit there, but I will sit here. Like, um, mm-hmm. is that okay? Can I sit here in this seat instead? Because I don't want to sit in that seat. And he was like, okay, okay, yeah, sure. Right. So like, you see that there's ways to kind of navigate that. Prince Wu is not necessarily engaging in bids for connection that resonate or are positive ones that they want to reciprocate. And so it typically doesn't happen as much. Yeah. And, and so just to expand on this in terms of metaphor, a, a bid, I think helps here in, in terms of thinking about gambling, like I am anteing up and I'm putting something in the pot. I am. And another way to think about it is this is my demonstration of vulnerability and you can either choose to call that bet Mm-hmm. Right. Or you can, you can raise it. Right. But thinking about in terms of like a, what, how much vulnerability am I putting into the pot? And some people will make a bid for connection mm-hmm. with like one chip, yep. <laughs> and, but even still that is a bid they are trying to make because they feel that they can't bid more than that without fear of being hurt. I don't want to lose something. And so I don't want to bet more. Right. 
And so I I think it's really helpful to think about it in terms of like poker or blackjack. <laughs> and so I like and I, I think it's helpful for that. And this is really interesting for me because Bolin is, or not Bolin, sorry, Prince Wu is constantly just throwing chips out there just to see if anyone will pick one up. <laughs> right. And it's one of those things where he is a prince who has been taught that people will like often will respond to him with whatever he says. Right. And he's now in relationship with people who don't grovel at his feet. And so he's learning that these types of bids won't always get a return. Well, it's almost like on that same analogy, it's almost like he spent his entire life playing poker with not chips. Right. Right. Like I'm going to bet a car. I'm going to bet an earring. I'm going to bet, uh, you know, a cookie or an Oreo. And then everyone he's always played with has been like, yeah, totally cool. Yeah. Love it. I would yeah, love sure. it. Thank you. <laughs> now he's throwing cookies and like, I'm betting an Oreo. And they're like, we're playing with money. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't, that, that bid doesn't work here. Yeah. Um, well, again, it's really interesting for me to think about is because one of the things that I really struggle with, with Prince Wu is this presumption that, they're already connected. And while I agree on a larger level that everyone is connected, you have to build up to the type of connection that Prince Wu is assuming between them. You know, one of the things that really grinds my gears, one of the things that makes my butt itch is a, that's a phrase that I heard the other day that I laughed at, but is when people, uh, like, will start joking with you before you have built up the rapport to have that kind of joke between you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, you, I don't know you well enough for you to make that joke about me. Right. Right. And so, and (laughs) I think that there are people that just jump straight to that, presuming that there's already connection. And I think Prince Wu is doing exactly that. Yeah. And I think about all the times in my life, that's a great example of where someone's doing that. Or like, this is how you talk to women. And I've been taught that this is how you talk. And when you're trying to, to woo someone, um, that this is, this is the way that you interact with them. And this is how you get and this is how you get what you want. Um, and he's doing all of those things. And it's just like, that's not, if you listened, maybe that would be a way to connect. If you, yeah. if you didn't make these comments, maybe that would be a way to connect. If you didn't make people feel uncomfortable and weird like that would be. And so, um, there, and then again, where's the weird balance of what's authentic or not? I would argue that Prince Wu is not being authentically himself or he is being authentic and it's, or I just, I don't like, I don't know if that's, he just, he's acting in a way that he thinks he's supposed to act or one he's been conditioned to believe is like, this is how you, this is how you behave and people will respond well because you're a prince. And this is why I really struggle with the, we had a live episode where we really dove into this concept, but the idea of the authentic self to me is something that I really struggle with because I think Wu is absolutely being his most authentic self. I think that he's acting from a place of insecurity. I think he's acting from a place of wanting connection and not knowing how to get it. I think he's like, but I think he's acting very- That's authentically him. That's who he is in this moment. Yeah. I mean, it's who he wants to be. It doesn't mean that this is something that he will be in at the end of the series, but it is who he is in this moment. And I, I think that's 
I really struggle with this idea of like having a true self at all, frankly. Uh, and that really, that's, that's hard for, that requires more conversation than we're willing to have in this moment. But it's a longer than a, it's longer than an uh, hour long episode. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I digress, but uh, for Prince Wu specifically, I, I hear you. I think that, I think what this is coming from is a place of, I want to be loved. I want to belong and I want to feel like people care about me. And this is how I know how to do it. And it's not working and it's not landing. And I think he's learning from the process. No. Speaking of Prince, one of the things that I think about in this episode that I think relates is when you, and it manifests differently in this episode than it does for us. But the idea of knowing where someone is because you're connected to them and knowing where they went, like it's really cool. And when someone's upset, where do they go? They go to this coffee shop. Yep. Like, isn't it cool to like, know someone that well or to be known that well that like someone can say hey i know that this bothered them they likely went here right like or this is their favorite place um so yes it manifests in cora touching the ground and using the ground to figure out where Wu is uh and Wu didn't choose to be where he's at like in the in the train and all that stuff but there is kind of a power to um being known and knowing someone that well that you like, you know where they are and what they're thinking. And that's, we kind of lifted that up earlier, but I like that moment. Well, and I think what's really beautiful about this too, is when I, we, at the very, very beginning, we were talking about how, if we presume that Brene Brown's definition is helpful and useful, then the energy that exists between people, right. And Cora in the spirit world, being able to tap into spiritual energy is she has a way in other words to tap into connection itself right if we extend the metaphor of spirit energy into something that is like if connection is the energy that exists between people in in Brene Brown's language then the spiritual energy is that in a way and so core is able to tap into that which suggests that we have the capacity to tap into that energy Yeah. And so if that implication exists, that means that when we are connected and we can see the connection between people, then we are also able to make those connections and be able to find people as well. Because I can think of so many times where I've had someone that I feel really connected to that I'm like, yeah, they're probably there, but I don't recommend checking on them until they get back because they probably went there not to be found. Right. you know, and, or I'm saying, yeah, they probably could use someone to talk to. They've had a chance to process and they like to, to, you know what I mean? When you are able to start making assumptions about people and be correct, but also have the grace to realize that you might mess up. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, I definitely love this concept. I also think it, and forgive me for ranting, but the, we are in, especially in the United States, a spiritual crisis. I think that connection is a spiritual thing. And like this gets into why I went to divinity school, right? We, we are in a spiritual crisis. And it, the, the key to building, you know, belonging in, as a practice is honing and maintaining and cultivating our belief in the inextricable connection and connectedness between people and between others 
right? Not just people, but between like creation. And I think that that connection, the flow, the spirit that flows between us and every human is like, I don't think we can break that. However, what we have noticed due to the continued like separation by ideology and faction uh, is that the, the, the belief in that connection is constantly being tested and severed. And I, I just, I believe that that belief uh, is really the struggle here because the connection piece is that we can't, we can't not be connected, but our belief in that connection can be destroyed. Yeah. And, you know, a, a lot of this stems from Brene Brown's Braving the Wilderness book, which again, I, one of my favorites that she wrote, and that's probably saying something. Um, but I, I think that this is a spiritual crisis, frankly, that we are in because again, using this metaphor for us is like <laughs> the spiritual realm is literally tapping into the energy that connects us. And I think that connection is that for us. And so anyway, I digress. I'm done. I, that's a lot. <laughs> no. And it, you know, it's the moments that we see that restore that belief in this episode. Right. So Bolin going back is a moment that restores that belief yeah. and that connection um them taking the time to find woo belief yep. in the connection um moments of being reunited and um we see uh like Cora feeling like a failure uh as as her and Opal like return to Republic City and them connecting on not feeling like they're good enough yep. restoring those connections right so like there there's how are we doing that in our own world? Like how, what are you, what are we contributing to restore the belief? Cause sometimes that's a self fulfilling prophecy, I think, right? Like yeah. when you start to practice gratitude, you see more gratitude in the world. When it's you start to practice community and belief in supporting others, you start to see it in other places more. Right. And so like, that's the type of stuff that we got to work towards is like, when we are creating that action, you will see others creating that action as well. And so, it goes back to Uncle Iroh, y'all. If you look for the light, you can often find it. If you look for the dark, that is all you will ever see. Right? Yeah, it's right. like we have the we have the wisdom from this show that's telling us the exact same thing that you're describing. So yeah, I think that um, those are the moments that it, that really will when we get to our twin law. Like those are the moments that pull me in. Right? It's those moments of restoring belief yes. in the connectedness of us all. And so I think that that's, yeah. the, that's the sweet spot. So before we jump to Tween Law, we'll take a break. But before we take the break, is there anything else you want to lift up before we jump through? Mm, no, I just find it annoying that the one time Mako doesn't watch Prince Wu P, that that's the time that Prince Wu Just watch. bad timing. Bad luck, you know? <laughs> You know, but, but you know, we also it could be one of those things, right? Like as we're talking about cause and effect, is like maybe it didn't happen and that opportunity was always there, but because Mako was there, it never did happen. Yeah. Um, and so as we talk about the connection between events, like that's possible that it's not the one time that he did it, it's that he prevented all the other times unknowingly. Exactly. And that because he didn't prevent it this time, it that's when it happened. So who knows? Um, cool. We'll take a quick break, we'll jump back in and we'll be back in a moment. Thank you. 
and we're back from our little break. Talking, talking twee and law, what is pushing us away and pulling us in to yeah. this episode. So what are some moments for you, Ben? Yeah, there's so, I, you know, is is comedically funny and understandable as it is. One of the things that pushed me away was the, this final moment between Asami, Mako and Korra and, and Prince Wu where they just jumped out of the train. They just like landed and they all like make up and hug. And I'm simultaneously annoyed with Prince Wu that he tries and goes in for the hug too. And also annoyed with the hand to the face that keeps him away. And it's just one of those moments where I'm just like, oh, all he wants is to to be loved and cared for and to have friends. And all they want is to have this moment without it being tainted by by someone who's not a part of this group. And, you know, I just am reminded that of of a quote from our old CEO, like anytime we open our doors wider, we become stronger. And like, I just wish that there was room for Prince Wu in this hug. And at the same time, I would have been annoyed that he joined it in the first place. And so it's one of those things where just that moment was uncomfortable from both sides for me and as much as as real as it is i i was like oh that's a bummer it's tough because it's one of those things where you just want them to get there a little bit faster like you recognize that like he hasn't earned that space yet exactly like um based off his actions and and some stuff that he's done has actually pushed him further away from Mm -hmm. that space and you still see the pain that he's feeling. And so you want the group to kind of see that faster as well and yeah. find a, you just want the relationship takes time. That bridge takes time to build and you just want them to kind of build it faster. Yeah. I just, that, that moment is just like a, Oh, bummer. <laughs> uh, what about you? Anything that pushed you away? Yeah. Um, yeah. I just, there are still times both. I think both my push and pull take place in the same moment. And it's the moment where, Bolin calls out Varric early on in the episode for being complicit in all of this. Mm. Um, that is my pull in that Bolin is willing to have that conversation. And my push out is that Varric doesn't see it to begin with that. Like he's accountable for the stuff that's happening when it comes to the spirit bond and, and the work that he's played with that. Um, and I think because Bolin is willing to call him out is why we see Varric turn in future episodes and be like, no, no one should have this. Like this isn't a, this isn't what it's for. Um, and I think that doesn't happen without Bolin calling him out and being like, no, you're a part of it. Like you can't ignore that though you're not directly the one who is going out and harming people that your acceptance of that uh, and, and a part of that in the system is absolutely what has caused this. Or, and so like yeah. you get, you have to play a role in dismantling it. And I think that that's a really powerful moment. And so that's what pushes me in and or pulls me in and pushes me away is, Varric's lack of accountability and Bolin lifting up that accountability. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. I, I think that that's a important moment. Any of it's like Bolin's kind of flipping out and having this motivational speech and Varric's like, man, that's why I have you in movers. Like, right. Like, it's like, dude. <laughs> bruh. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think that there's so much that pulls me in about this episode. I, I really dig this episode. I, I really like this moment of reunion. I get, I get why it's called reunion in the beginning when, you know, Naga and Cora are together, when the, you know, the family comes home and there Milo's like, can I have my tattoos? And 
just this this the reality of them being in relationship with one another is very apparent in this episode and i just love watching the relationship happen so i i was pulled in by a lot of those those moments and i'm a sucker for all the hugs so i just i love it and i appreciate it so that's that's what pulled me in nice all right what are we uh def uh, we're going to devotion devotion and we are looking at it through the lens of earth earth and um, connection and connection earth connection yeah so for me you know we used to do an activity with um kids at summer camp where we would find a rock that people would go, we'd send our campers off. They don't normally get to pick up rocks because they usually throw them and hit kids and we don't like that. But we would send them to find a rock and tell them to bring it back. And we would tell them to think about a really important memory that they made this week and think about it and kind of like focus that memory into the rock. And then they would throw that rock into the lake. And the reason we did this was, one, it was a chance for them to pick up rocks and throw rocks into the lake, but also it was a chance to build a connection between the, the child and the location. And you will always be a part of this place because this rock is, it's a rock. It's going to be here forever, right? Rocks uh, are much slower to change than we are. And so there's this sense of, I will always be connected to this place. And one of the things I really appreciate about that is that that will always have been true, even if you didn't throw that rock into this lake, right? Because you have, you've spent time here, you've made memories here, and that will always be true that it is a part of you and is a part of your past. And what I'm kind of reflecting on is thinking about the the in in honoring the places that I have been connected to and thinking about the connections that I would like to continue to make as well. Like where do I want to be more connected to? And then just really kind of envisioning like what are the memories that I want to build and and what are the memories that I have built and being grateful for them. So I think this this week is just going to be a reflection for me on the the connectedness that I have to literal place. And I think that that matters because, you know, one of the things we we don't really haven't done on this podcast, but I think we you know, want to consider is that we are on stolen land, right? And honoring the fact that we're connected to a history that we are often untapped into. And so if we want to see the connection between people, between things, between create myself and creation, I think I want to learn more about the land that I am on and who has been here in the past and what that meant to those people. And there's a lot going on there that I think we can um, learn and reflect on. And so for, for me this week, I want, I want to learn more about where I am, frankly. And I know a little bit I, and I just want to kind of put that into practice a little bit. So that's, that's me. That's, uh, that was a lot, but um, yeah. that's what I'm thinking about. Fantastic. What about you? 
Um, so for me, I think you kind of talked a little bit earlier about like we're connected, but then some connections are stronger and some are. And so it made me start to think about like, if I am in a place where there's a giant valley and I'm on one side of it, I'm technically connected to the other side, right? Like the ground goes there, the ground goes under the water, maybe of a river that's passing through, it goes up the, the, you know, the, the rock face or, and so like the ground is, there's a connection piece to that other side. So we're, we're connected. And if I build a bridge, that is a safer, sometimes stronger, sometimes easier or faster connection to that other side. And so, um, those bids for connection we're talking about is how do I acknowledge those and in while honoring myself and the other person, make sure that those bridges are getting built. And so what are those moments in my life that I get to do that this yeah, week? Yeah. And so those, that's what I'm going to focus on is like, how do I build small bridges in the places that I can to create safer, stronger uh, connections between the people in my life? And so um, that's, that's my goal this week. Mm. I'm here for it. <sighs> All right. Gratitude. Yeah. Gratitude. Who are we grateful for? Who you got? Yeah. So there's this moment that, you know, Asami was asking about, like, so what have you been doing for the past several years? And Cora's like, well, I went to see Toph. <laughs> I went to see, um, and you met Toph. And what, what is she like? And the way Cora describes Toph is, yep, she's cranky and irascible and kind of the worst, kind of like a worse version of Lynn and not specifically in that language, but she says it with like a, a nostalgic smile on her face. Mm -hmm. it, it clearly demonstrated the appreciation and like just admiration she has for Toph. And so part, like it's, I guess it's both. I'm, I'm really grateful for Toph who knew Cora well enough to give her what she needed, but also I'm really grateful for Cora for, um, for sharing that and sharing a little bit about who she is and not like making it, you know, not covering it up and painting a prettier picture than what was actually true, you know? So I'm, I'm grateful for both. I really found that moment to be really endearing. No, yeah. Um, I'm gonna go with Bolin. Bolin's mine this week. I just he really shows up. It shows up well, uh, which doesn't happen uh, a few episodes from now. So moments I can, th you know, be great. Bolin's got a lot of episodes where he's not gonna get thanked, and so I, this one's one where I want to give him some thanks and gratitude because he does show up well, um, in a lot of different ways, and so I really appreciate that. Here, here. Well, we did it. Another episode in the books. Done, done it. Seven down. Few more to go. Wow. Yeah. Only a few more to go. So um, follow us on all the social medias, BNB underscore pod. That's Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, uh, Substack, where Ben's doing some writing on uh, some Avatar episodes. And um, check us out on Patreon because we're doing live episodes still and, and giving some bonus content there. And so check us out on Patreon if you feel so inclined to do so. Mm -hmm. uh, anything else before we want to wrap up, Ben? No, I've been struggling staying connected to that practice because it's exam time, but I'm I'm still doing it. So don't think I'm not doing it. <laughs> Take the time you need. 
That's right. Exams can be hard. I'm Sunshine. Ben. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.